This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. We've got our take cannons loaded and ready. Ready. Absolutely dominant on deep routes. Absolutely dominant on short routes. boys are back, back. Excellent separation against man coverage. It's Reception Perception, the show. Yo, what's cracking, everybody? James Coe, Matt Harmon here with you. You're listening to Reception Perception, the show. All right, here we go, Matt. Uh, Exciting week number 10 is in the books. All of a sudden, we've got a rookie quarterback who is basically locked up. uh, Rookie, offensive rookie of the year, for sure, 100% for sure. Um, And now he's like a low-level MVP candidate in C.J. Stroud. I, I just... I mean, again, I'm with everybody else, man. Just so impressed with what this kid is doing. Yeah, the last two weeks have been absolutely electric for C.J. Stroud. Um, he's kind of breaking all of the young quarterback role uh, rules, too. You mm-hmm. know, where um, a lot of times it's like, all right, let's be patient. Like, let's put him in like a cookie cutter <laughs> offense, yeah. you know, where um, you, you look let's keep it to one side of the field. You got damn uh, Chris Collinsworth talking about Zach Wilson last night where it's like, He's in his third year, third year, fourth, fourth year, third year, third year for for Zach Wilson, and it's like, yeah, he's still Chris Collins, like, yeah, he's too young to be reading the full field or whatever. It's like, uh, <laughs> third season, like we, it's like, ah, he's, yeah, he's how much longer to, do we need to wait, dude? How, how much, much longer, longer do we? Do we need? How much longer do we need to wait? Know. Like, I mean, you should probably be able to read the whole field now at this point. You yeah, know, CJ right, Stroud exactly. out there. He's pushing the ball down the field. Yo. He's got a ton of like vertical juice uh, in yeah. this Houston, Texas offense. And it's just, God, it's so, dep- I mean, it's just so depressing for, um, for the Panthers that he was the second <laughs> overall pick and they traded the first overall pick. And it's just like, this guy's probably having the best rookie season we've ever seen potentially because yeah, um, of right how he is doing it. Like I said, they don't even put him in like advantageous situations necessarily. I think Bobby Slowick's done a really good job as the offensive coordinator for this team. Okay. Um, I think he's really schemed this up well, but they run the ball on first down a ton, um, which is like what you normally want to do if you're if you're if you're going to hide your quarterback, right? You do yeah. the whole like run run pass thing, and then that actually ends up screwing them because then on third down, they're in long down and distance, yeah. but, uh, see Tennessee. Okay. Like, yeah. golly, stop trying to establish a damn run already. Tennessee. Yes. Good Lord. Yeah. Trying to, trying to hide your quarterback. I, the, the biggest example actually of any team this year was the Rams when they had to start Brett Rippon. Right. He literally did not throw a pass on first down for an entire half. For an entire half, James <laughs> football. That's when you, again, usually you want to do that when you want to hide your bad quarterback Right. They're they're not doing that with I mean they're doing that with CJ Stroud, but he is just shooting them out of third downs every time because they have this intense faith in him and they haven't had a good run game at all this year except no. last week against the Bengals. Their run game's actually been kind of terrible. So Horrible. the way he is doing it is unlike we normally see with these young quarterbacks when I mean even Cam Newton, right? Like Cam Newton had a great rookie season. He broke all these like passing records and stuff from yeah. a yards perspective, but he turned the ball over. They didn't necessarily win a ton of games. Like, dude, the Texans might win the AFC South this year. I know. Like I know. 
he is if the playoffs started today they'd be in and we're taping this on monday so the bills haven't yeah. played yet but if if they if they if the playoffs started today the texans would be in the playoffs the bills would not be the Bengals would That's not crazy. be like That's i crazy. was watching the pre-game shows uh because you know me james i'm a man that likes to work out i was in my i was in my home gym <laughs> Okay. During the dur- trying to do something productive during the Patriots and Colts game because God knows oh, there you productive go. going on with that football God, game. Jesus, yeah, so, horrible. Game ends and like then it flips to the you know the pregame shows and all that stuff, and, mm-hmm. and they're talking about you know listen, the Texans have been impressive, but they're gonna walk into Cincinnati and they're gonna see like the Bengals are gonna see themselves four years ago in the Texans, right? Ohio State quarterback bringing bringing juice back to the franchise, right? But yeah, the, yeah. Bengals of this year are going to remind the Bengals of four years ago, like, you know, who the Kings of the town and they beat the freaking Bengals. <laughs> they <laughs> like did. They did. that is so impressive. And it, yeah, it just is. It's why we're talking about CJ Stroud is, you know, in a year where there's no clear cut MVP front runner, it's why he deserves to like, you have to have him in the conversation. Now. Ha- have to. Yeah. Ha- have to, you know, it, watching that Bengals game too, it, it, there was different points where, and, and remember the Bengals have been just, I mean, red hot, red hot coming into this game, right? So again, there just felt like, even though the score was was always, cl- and as a matter of fact, that they had to climb back from uh, a pretty big deficit uh, early on, it just felt like, especially there in, late in the third, early in the fourth, uh, it's like, okay, Bengals getting control now. All right, they're going to do what they do. Joe Burrow's going to lead a late charge, and they're going to win this game, mm-hmm. right? Uh, which, by the way, that's exactly what should have happened. Yes. Okay, Tyler Boyd, with, I mean, just the most brutal drop. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, it was awful. That was tough. Uh, tough to see. Um, so, Tyler Boyd, if he catches that one, game's over. It's it's over. Mm-hmm. They, 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 I mean, I, I guess not. I mean, I guess they could have had a couple shots at the end zone or whatever it was. But most likely, more more likely than not, would have been over. Certainly wouldn't have been uh, as easy as just uh, driving down, you know, 55 yards or whatever it was to, to get that field goal. Anyways, um, it just felt like there was different points in that game where you're like, all right, Bengals got control of this game. This baby's over. And uh, CJ Stroud and the Houston Texans are like, no, 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 hold up, hold up, wait a second. Okay, now that being said, um, there was a lot of excitement for uh, Tank Dell, rightfully so. Uh, led the team in targets, I believe, with 14 targets, right? Um, wasn't efficient with it. We know the Bengals on the outside corners. Uh, Lou Anarumo's got these guys playing pretty well, right? So it was going to be, you know, not not the most efficient of days there for, for, for Tank Dell. All right. Yo, journeyman Noah Brown <laughs> going for a buck 50 in plus in back-to-back games here. Uh, I, I tweeted this out. That was not on my 2023 bingo card here, man. Like what is going on with Noah Brown? How is he doing this in back-to-back games? Let me first give a quick shout out to Tank Dell who, yeah, he didn't have his best performance. He's probably not um, necessarily built to just be on the perimeter and, and be like an ISO outside receiver. And he led the team right. with 87% of his routes coming from the outside. We, we did talk about this a lot as he was, it, whoever was on the outside was probably going to be in the least advantageous spot. Mm-hmm. And it turned out to be Tank Dell, even though he got 14 targets and he scored a touchdown. But I do want to give a quick shout out to Tank Dell because he's, you know, like 160 pounds or whatever. And he took a shot. I mean, a shot in this game where like, I was I moved between upstairs and downstairs when I'm watching games and usually like red zones just on downstairs and like my wife's on the couch downstairs when I'm down there like doing something real quick and I'm, like that plays on red zone and we both just saw that and we're like oh oh yeah you know? exactly. and, and then and then have the obligatory <laughs> discussion that any normal human being should have while watching NFL football and something like that happens where you're like my wife and I are just like if that happened to either of us we'd be dead I mean we'd, we'd be dead um, right you know just absolutely atrocious thing to, to have happen. And you know, what is 160 pound tank Dell? I'm, you know, Wolverine or whatever <laughs> pops right, he's right back on the field. I was like, well, he's definitely out for the game. And he wasn't. So I do want to get, just give a quick shout out to yeah. tank Dell for Good being call. tough Good as call. shit. Yeah, absolutely. Got ha- has to be said as oh, for the Noah Brown stuff here. Um, you know, to, to go back to the alignment, like you mentioned, he runs, more routes outside than he had previously this season. 69.7% of his routes came outside. He still ran 30% of his routes on the inside. Now, critically, he had two big plays uh, as a slot receiver, two catches for 64 yards as a slot receiver. So they still got him some matchup advantages there. Right. Um, Robert Woods ran out of the slot in other points, more routes. Uh, John Mechie, when he was on the field, he's obviously a pure slot receiver. One of the 
best. One of CJ Stroud's best throws came on a throw to, to John Mechie down the sideline. Um, I think probably on a corner route or something like that. But you know, so Noah Brown, if you look at his like next gen stats passing chart or route chart mm-hmm. from the last two games, you know, the one against the Bucks, like I'm not trying to take anything away from Noah Brown, but the one like big catch and run play is just a big crossing route from the slot and like. That's, you know, you catch and run and, and you're going to score a touchdown and it's going to boost your day to, to, you know, 153 yards and a touchdown. Okay? Yeah. So I'm, not t- I'm not doing the whole, well, if you take away his best play, he actually had a terrible sure, game. Sure. That's not what I'm saying <laughs> right. here. Yeah. But yeah like, no, then you, you look at the week seven or week 10 uh, route chart here, and a lot of it looks a lot more like the Nico Collins routes, you know, mm-hmm. uh, these big in breaking routes, these big dig routes, um, a couple like comeback routes and, and stuff like that. So, what you really saw was uh, Nico Collins missing this game and Noah Brown just stepping up as that X receiver in this offense is going to run those like big over routes and dig routes and and some of the stop and comeback routes as a pure outside receiver. So he absolutely stepped up in a way that, um, I mean, we've never seen him play in this type of way before, which is pretty impressive for a guy that was kind of like a dirty work player and a special teamer in Dallas. And we really had, and really we'd only seen, like you have said before, when we've seen him have positive glimpses, it's mostly been as a slot receiver. That was not the yeah. case. Um, ex- not the case exclusively. You have 172 yards, you're going to get some yards out of the slot too, <laughs> but not exclusively right. uh, in, in week 10. Yeah, no. Um, and, and again, this is more of like a overarching thing, but in the NFL where slot guys are now just getting making bigger plays because I think the, the design of plays too – um, especially against this cover two scheme that everyone's running right now, it, th- there's just more availability uh, in that intermediate area of the field. And and again, you know, if you're able to catch and run, you're going to make some big plays, which is which is great to see. Uh, to your point about Noah Brown being this, you know, very workmanlike player, that's basically what we saw from him in Dallas. Uh, I thought he was a, pro- you know, I, I throw this word around. I, he was a professional receiver. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think he was great anywhere by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and you know, I guess. If you want to say it negatively, you could say, oh, he was a guy. But I mean, at the end of the day, he was still a, a, a player that I thought was a workmanlike player, uh, could give you a couple of plays here and there. I just didn't ever see him making plays like what we saw over the last two weeks here, especially that big catch and run in week nine uh, from Noah Brown throughout his entire career. To me, Matt, I, and again, I, I don't want to take any credit away from Noah Brown, but I mean, yo. What CJ Stroud is doing in terms of elevating his players is truly remarkable, you know, and and again, maybe it's not the right time to say that, but it's like in terms of like Trevor Lawrence, I thought, for example, is a, is a player that does the exact same thing in Jacksonville. Again, I know not timely considering uh, how poorly the Jacksonville Jaguars played here in week number 10, but when you look at the players there in Houston, like, okay, we like Nico Collins, Matt, I know you like Nico Collins. I, I, I don't think you'd go so far as to say you love Nico Collins, Right. Tank Dell is like one of your favorite, you know, prospects or whatever it might be. But it wasn't like you weren't in love with the guy. Right. So all these guys are are, are good players. And right now what CJ Stroud is doing to these guys is that he's making them one level up. So if they're good, yes. now they're great. Right. If they're a workman like receiver, now they're a good receiver. You know, it's just he's leveling up all of his players right now. And um, and I think to me, it's like when you start talking about the MVP conversation, that to me is is a big part of it. Yeah, because to me, Nico Collins is the best receiver on this team, full stop, period. Like, And certainly the most important receiver on this team because... 100% agree. He, because he's the X in the routes that he runs. Like, There's a reason we talked about Tank Dell you know, being uh, wide-ass open on some of these outbreaking routes, like corner routes, out routes, stuff like that. Well, because when you've got a big X pulling guys to the middle of the field you're going to open that like all route concepts work together and the houston route concepts are working beautifully i mean matt canada could never not in his dreams come up with some of these route (laughs) concepts that that houston's got right now so nico is i think their best receiver full stop but i also think it's he's definitely their most important receiver and he doesn't play in this game and cj stroud goes out there and outduels joe burrow and wins this game and and what is the like you can do a lot with quarterback evaluation, right? I mean, obviously Derek Klassen does great work for us. You can look at like mm-hmm. EPA per dropback. You can look at success rate and you can look at all these things like arm talent, accuracy and timing and like ability to make guys miss in the pocket. But if you wanted to boil down, like how do you tell a quarterback is a guy? How do you tell a quarterback is a dude? Like is going to, is a franchise altering player. 
do they elevate talent around them? You could boil it yeah. all down to just right. that question. Right. And if the answer is yes, then yes, your quarterback is a franchise changing guy, a talent, you know, a, 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 yeah. the savior, the he's a dude, right? He's, right? he's one of the guys, one of the elite players of the position. Well, we're 10 weeks into CJ Stroud's career, and the answer is already like an affirmative yes that he yeah, is resounding. an elevator. Yeah. Right. Resounding. You know, the the problem with that though, Matt, is that I think you and you and I, you know, we watch a lot of football and it's like, you know, we also don't like have a lot of uh, we have our we have guys that we favor, of course, you know, but it's like for the most part, we don't have uh rose-colored glasses on on most players here, you know. The problem with what you're saying though is most people can't do that. They're not able to separate stats. From just like ability, you know, yeah. and I, that's what you do for a living. That is your calling card, you know, is to separate stats from ability. But golly, um, most people are, are, are shockingly bad. Actually, I want to say shockingly bad at separating stats and, and actually even more than that, they're shockingly bad. They're even worse separating wins and losses from just straight talent eval, you know, like totally, for some yeah. reason it's like, yeah, oh, Lamar's struggling. It's like, Really? Lamar struggling like no he's not struggling they're just not winning games man like what are you talking about here you know like it's it's incredible um, well football's tough too because l- l- not to get on a Lamar tangent but it's like well you know listen I think Lamar is good on like 90% of the plays 95% of the plays like right so like yes Lamar is a good player because he's good on 95% of the plays mm-hmm. it just happens to be those 5% like against the Browns specifically like yeah, those that 5% pick six. Re- really really matters and like Ugh. that's the reason they, they lose the game so it's <laughs> it can be tough because it's a game of inches and it like can flip on us on a you know moment like sure. that right but overall yeah he's like still a good player, but it is very hard to um, separate those like 5% of plays. Cause that really does matter a ton. And like, I mean, that's like when you get into the nitty gritty of like, would you rather have this guy or that guy? Well, his yeah. 5% is better than his, you know, his 5% or worse or, right. or whatever, like the variance there and all that stuff. But yeah, I mean, look, not to bag on the Panthers here. Cause like every CJ Stroud conversation is kind of like bagging on the Panthers. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. But we talked about this with like Adam Thielen, a few, um, weeks ago where all right like so why do stats lie sometimes as we're saying like is 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 noah brown balling out yeah he had a he had a great game because he's playing with a great quarterback like you know and and that quarterback is certainly elevating him and the system is 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 really good and conducive to those particular plays that he is making and then with the adam Thielen thing like that was my whole point like I couldn't care less what stats Adam Thielen is putting up. He's playing well, but like you've got to be able to look at the box score and not just think about that. Because mm-hmm. if you looked at the box score for Adam Thielen, you'd be like, this is one of the best receivers in football. Well, then, yeah, well, then why does the <laughs> offense suck? You know, the, the Jerry Judy stuff we talked about in the offseason uh-huh. all, la- all last year. Like, man, Jerry yeah. Judy, almost 1,000 yards. Yeah, on a terrible offense. Like, Right. And if the film doesn't matter, like the film is the film and that's like reception perception is the film like that. That doesn't lie to you. Okay. Like it is, this is what is happening. Like that, that's what it is. So you, you gotta be able to sort of like use that as your North star. And then like, uh-huh. are the stats pulling you back? Or are they pulling you <laughs> up? And and, it, and it, again, it's hard to stay grounded, but that's yeah. why you subscribe to the show. And that's why you, you listen to us because you people out there have lives uh, you you are really invested in your personal relationships, and Good. James and I are really personally invested in football. Okay, that's what we're doing. Yeah, that's correct. By the way, by the way, let, let me add a little context to to the whole film. Don't lie. The film don't lie to you, Matt Harmon. The film lies to a lot of people. Let me tell you uh, yeah. right I mean, now. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> the film lies to a lot of people out there, baby. Okay, but it doesn't lie to you. Which is why we love you. All right, got to spend a lot about- of time on it. Got to. It's that's a, that's a relationship you have to nurture. Okay, that's, correct, <laughs> correct, correct. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, I want to talk about New Orleans here because uh, obviously Derek Carr left that game, concussion, shoulder injuries, don't know the extent, uh, how much time he is going to miss. He might not miss any games, to be honest with you here. Um, Obviously, a tough customer is Derek Carr, although I will say I don't think there is a single Chris Olave manager, fantasy manager out there that is not begging Derek Carr to take his time uh, back. And, and And I might even expand this to saying, there's a large chunk of the Saints fan base, too, that would like to see Derek Carr take, I mean, plenty of time. Uh, make sure he's 100% healthy <laughs> before returning to work here. Uh, but we saw Jameis Winston come in in relief, um, and it was the full Jameis experience. It was it not. I mean, just ripping big boy throws <laughs> down the field, just crushing, soul-crushing interceptions as well. It was the full experience with Jameis Winston. And I love the fact that doesn't matter how much time goes by, it's the same Jameis. Yeah. We're going to get that every every game. It don't matter how many years has passed since Jameis Winston has last played football. That's the experience you are going to get, and it was great to see. But Chris Olave, hey, listen, from a statistical standpoint, obviously um, – Benefited here with uh, Jameis Winston. One target, one catch, 15 yards with Derek Carr uh, in about, what, it was about 40 minutes of game action? Yeah, zero and, uh, in the first half. Yeah, zero in the first half. Nine targets, seven grabs, 79 yards, and a touchdown with Jameis Winston in just under 20 minutes of game action. Just unbelievable in terms of night and day performances here um, for between Carr and Jameis Winston and Chris Olave. But... Again, I just I know we've talked about this a little bit here, but Matt, it's just not a great pairing when you take a look at some of his RP profile data uh, with what Chris Olave does well, and then when you look at his when you look at the reception perception data on Derek Carr and what he does well, it's just it's a little bit like oil and water, man. Yeah, on one hand, I really hate talking about the Saints' offense. They've been like one of my least favorite offenses to watch on film and to like break down. There's just like not a lot of good football going on here um, <laughs> for a lot of different reasons. Right. I, I think, it's, but here we are talking about them again. Alas, what can you do? Uh, I get it, especially the Jameis Winston part of it. That I mean, that mm-hmm. was just peak Jameis Winston. It was. Uh, the it was touchdown awesome. to A.T. Perry, who we'll talk about in a second. I mean, that was just like no <laughs> other quarterback even attempts that throw. Forget completes that throw. No quarterback attempts that oh throw God. literally from like one end of the field to the other. I mean, unbelievable. I think, Ma- I think Mahomes would try it. I think Mahomes would try it. He he would test the gun out, I think. He'd break I it don't out. Know. Dude, I don't even know. He would just do some like weird scramble thing. I don't, I don't know if he tries that throw, but, okay. but Jameis tries that Derek Carr isn't trying that throw. Oh Derek, God. No, no, you could, you could not. be playing against a defense with like eight players and Derek Carr is still not trying that throw. Yeah, uh, yeah. Let me tell you that. And, and I think that's part of the reason, look, I'm not going to sit here and like psychoanalyze um, everybody, but I do think like James, the most frustrating thing in the saints offense this year has been, Derek Carr, the checkdowns to Alvin Kamara. They've gotten a little bit better the last few weeks, um, mm-hmm. but like the Jaguars game on Thursday night was particularly offensive. Um, and there is the Tampa Bay game before that, particularly yeah. offensive, where uh, the Houston game, particularly offensive in this regard, where the routes aren't even fully developed yet. Like these guys aren't even fully breaking on their routes. Like you think about a post route or something like that. These guys right. haven't hit that break point, like a big over route, which is basically all the saints who we talked about ask Chris Olave to run these like big deep routes. 
these aren't even broken yet. They're not developed. Like these guys don't even have a chance yet. And Derek Carr's already checking down. Uh, like, <laughs> we're talking about Chris Olave quitting on routes. I mean, that's quitting on a play. That is it that is. is quitting on a play no, it is. at it the is. quarterback position. Same thing. Right. Like, All right. Well, I'm saving my completion percentage and I'm saving myself getting hit or whatever. So I'm just going to check down to Alvin Kamara. I've, I've said previously that having Kamara in the cigarette analogy with, with Derek Carr, um, it, you know, did I make that on this show or was that a different show? No, I don't, I don't think know. so. I basically said, I think I tweeted this too, that having Alvin Kamara, a running back known for his pass catching as the lead running back in a Derek Carr offense is basically like a, a quarterback addicted to checking down. That's basically like if you're a, <laughs> like just putting a pack of cigarettes right. on a smoker's nightstand every day, like he's yep. screwed the moment he wakes up. Okay. It doesn't, doesn't matter if he wants to quit. You're, you're basically giving it to him. That That's having Kamara as the running back for a Derek Carr offense. Um, yeah. So that had gotten particularly bad to the point that, like, I think the receivers, Olave, some of these other guys were getting super frustrated. Um, you know, you've seen players like Michael Thomas and Rashid Shahid like, going crazy out there at times, like, throwing their hands up. Right. Um, Olave with the quitting on the routes or not running routes full speed, the whole thing. Um, and then I kind of think Jameis Winston gets in the game and Chris Olave is like, all right, let's go. No more line. Like – I'm not saying that, all right, now he's given full effort, but I think he thinks to himself, okay, well, I know I'm getting chances, <laughs> right? Like I'm getting chances on the routes that they're having me run. So let's get after it. And I think that was kind of reflected in the box score. You're you're not saying that he's giving full effort, but you're not not saying he's giving full effort, if you know what I'm saying here, you know? Sometimes you just know the inevitability, <laughs> like you know what to expect, you know the inevitability, right. like you're... You, you're gonna ask, uh, you're gonna ask that girl out, right? You know she's gonna say no. But you gotta at least try to get her to sure. go to the prom or something. You're gonna, you gotta shoot your shot, man, right? Shoot like, the you shot, know baby. <laughs> I'm not. It's just like, yeah. Sometimes you know the oh outcome of something, even if you're not gonna, you know. But you, you gotta give a little effort to it. I don't know. Um, all right. So when I referred to some of these, um, you know, reception perception numbers and uh, the charting we've done for both Chris Olave and Derek Carr. Okay. So Olave, when you take a look at his uh, player profile, a lot of green everywhere, um, <clears throat> above league average on pretty much every single route, and he was league average on the post route. But ninety-three point eight success rate on the corner—that's just outrageous. You know, uh, really strong marks in the intermediate area of the field too. Eighty-two point nine percent success rate on the dig—you love to see that kind of stuff. 90% slant, uh, slant route success rate. Again, they don't, uh, Matt's made this point many, many times. They don't throw them slants, you know, but they, they absolutely need to throw them more digs too. Um, but yeah. And then when you take a look again, I, I'm, I'm, I want to highlight the fact that Chris Olave is incredible on the corner route above league average on the nine route. But then when you take a look at what Derek Carr is doing, he's actually below league average, at least in 2022, below league average in the corner route and below league average on the nine route. So two, two of the routes that Chris Olave runs a lot and it does it either runs a lot or does well on Derek Carr is not very strong on those routes. Yeah. So it's that's why that marriage is a little bit choppy um, as we sit here today. So, yeah, uh, interesting stuff, certainly, with Jameis Winston uh, coming in there and, and giving Olave a lot of opportunities, man. Nine targets, seven grabs, 79 yards, and again, a touchdown, too. Um, oh, his touchdown was an incredible, incredible. catch, too. That it was, was awesome. Just a beautiful display of, like, body uh, control. Like, the stuff that I think, I've said this on the show that Olave does need to wear some of the blame for the season that he's had this year. And I, right. I don't think he's playing poorly, but he's playing like a top 20 receiver when he could be a top 10 receiver. Mm -hmm. That cut down catch right there is an example of why I think he has like superstar ability totally um, in his, in his range of outcomes. I mean, it's just unfortunate that like we're talking about Jameis Winston here and there's like a 0% chance he starts for the saints when Derek Carr is healthy. Dennis Allen basically said as much like, and, and for as much as like fantasy players and anybody that's invested in Olave, like I want to see Olave succeed. We like Jameis Winston. Yeah. No team wants to do this live by the sword, die by the sword uh, stuff, especially not this version of the saints. No. I mean, Jameis Winston, 15.4 air yards per attempt yesterday per next gen stats, but only 7.6 air yards per completion. What does that tell you? <laughs> <laughs> what what does that gap tell you oh, the two interceptions like <clears throat> it's one of them especially was just so utterly needless it's like you don't need exactly Jameis. exactly like, but exactly he is it, like i said live by the sword die by the sword is the Jameis winston monologue unfortunately most teams just don't want to do that 
Okay, so two touchdowns, two interceptions for Jameis Winston here. One of those two touchdowns came uh, via A.T. Perry, a rookie out of Wake Forest. Now, that, to be fair, that one also could have been an interception as well, but it's okay. A.T. Yes. Perry did come down with it, though. Uh, you've got a, a really good breakdown on his collegiate profile on the website. Go check it out, receptionperception.com. Uh, but I'll give some of the particulars here. Okay, so uh, A.T. Perry in um, last week's ball game. Uh, four targets, two grabs, 38 yards, and a touchdown. From a combine perspective, he's 6'3", 200 pounds. He ran a sub 4'5", so you know I like that. The 6'3 guy running a sub 4'5", I'm down with. He ran a 4'47", so that'll work for me. 35-inch uh, vertical, that's average, uh, but again, was a late-round pick. He was a sixth-round selection by the New Orleans Saints, again, out of Wake Forest. Um, had some drop issues there, according to PFF. I don't know if you saw the same thing, Matt, but 17 drops the last two years of college, according to PFF. But give us your breakdown on A.T. Perry. Uh, he may have a significant role moving forward here because, again, it's not a season-ending injury reportedly here for Michael Thomas, but they're calling it a, quote, significant injury. We might see A.T. Perry uh, kind of sort of play a much bigger role in this offense. Yeah. Yo, it's week 11. Okay. So there are very few things that are like, Oh man, this makes me feel alive. But, um, round six, AT Perry, uh, getting in here for the saints kind of makes me feel alive. <laughs> I've already go. said, I've already said this <laughs> offense is not one go. of my favorites to watch. Yeah. There's a, we, I just spent a ton of time complaining about it in the Chris Olave thing. Um, but Getting A.T. Perry out there is at least interesting to me. So um, for what happened on Sunday, Michael Thomas only runs two routes. He gets hurt. And, you know, the thought is, all right, Rashid Shahid, it's time to go. But right. I, I really like Rashid Shahid. I've said a lot of positive things about Rashid Shahid. Um, he's got some pretty good reception perception indicators from the in-season tracker last year. And he'll, he'll have some in-season data up at some point here soon, I promise you. But A.T. Perry profiles is more of that X that Michael Thomas was playing, obviously, and, and that's pretty critical. So he ends up running 38 routes uh, right behind Chris Olave, 39 routes leads the team. So he became that two receiver set player, not Rashid Shahid. And again, I think this makes sense because James, we can say it, the Devonte Parker axis of X receivers. Uh, he is somewhere on that axis of players. And I think, yeah, he has potential to be that type of X. Um, obviously, you'd like him to be better, be better than Devontae Parker. We've talked about that. But like Parker at his peak was like league average X receiver. He's not that player anymore, obviously. But um, that's why we always talk about the Devontae Parker access on, mm -hmm. on this show. And that is certainly where Perry fits in. Um, I, I liked his ability to beat man coverage. 68.7% uh, success rate versus man coverage in his prospect profile um i thought he like really brings some fluid ability uh as a route runner like he's got more uh, honestly he was a little bit like nico collins ish to me um okay. when when you watched him in college because the ability for him to work the middle of the field i thought was pretty impressive and that was what drew me to nico collins and his rookie year reception perception profile I was like all right this is a big x that we know can win contested but like his ability to work the middle of the field is impressive. 83.3% uh, success rate on slants uh, for Nico Collins in college. 78.6% success rate on post routes. Uh, that was his collegiate data. And really the best indicator for an X receiver like him is can you beat press coverage? And mm -hmm. he saw press on 27% of his routes, which is pretty high for a collegiate guy. 70.7% success rate versus press. He played in a weird offense in Wake Forest. Um but man, I was surprised that he fell all the way to the sixth round. Um, I can't confirm any of this stuff, but like I heard some people were kind of turned off from like an interview perspective with him hmm. or like a work work ethic perspective. I can't again, can't confirm any of that. But that was just like what I heard. Um, so yeah, this is just like a prototypical throwback X receiver that I thought would go on, and I had graded as a day two guy. He goes all the wow. way to the sixth round, uh, which is is kind of surprising to me. Yeah, so Nico Collins was a third-round draft pick, right, uh, out of Michigan. Um, I think the difference when you when you start talking about A.T. Perry versus Nico Collins, at least to me anyways, my eyes, what they tell me is that Nico's a little bit, not a little bit, actually a lot more physical of a yeah. player. Um, I really liked Nico. 
um, and, and this is still true to this day. He's just a combative player with that ball in the air. That's what I really like about him, right? Um, I don't see that really with A.T. Perry. I think when you say smooth, I think that's what I see with Perry. He's smooth. He's a much smoother uh, player um, than Nico Collins, but I don't see a lot of that. I, I don't know. I just don't see a lot of dog when that ball goes up in the air, man. Like that's probably the one thing I, I don't necessarily see. I, and I'm saying that by the way, knowing that he had a contested catch touchdown there uh, right. in week number 10, <laughs> but that, but that's important, right? Because um, like putting him up against Cedric Tillman, who we talked about last week, Tillman and Perry were both like the two prototypical X receivers in this past mm-hmm. draft. And man, you saw plenty of like lights out consistency from Cedric Tillman as a contested catch receiver and a ball winner on the outside. Right. Perry, I, I would say you saw those moments, but against like tougher competition, it wasn't as much. And and it was just, it was hit or miss. I mean, his overall contested catch rate in reception perception is good, but you mentioned the drops. You mentioned just like some tight coverage concerns and that definitely showed up. And I think maybe that was a part of the reason why some folks would break ties in favor of Tillman as opposed to, to AT Perry. But Again, maybe there's off-field stuff that that drove him down too. But yeah, yeah. Like, there, there's a lot of good indicators for for Perry here. Um, and if he can become more of that dog, as you mentioned, I mean, and Michael Thomas, like, dude, that's a great guy to learn from if you're going to be a dog. Because, oh like, yeah, oh yeah. Thomas is definitely not the player he used to be, but he is still like feisty and combative in contested situations. Love it. Like, Perry's been taking any notes from Michael Thomas. That's encouraging to see. Now he's going to play his position basically. And by the way, I mean bad timing to call Michael Thomas combative when he just got arrested for Oh, uh, good call. <laughs> good call. <laughs> I didn't even think about that oh, when boy. I said it, but yeah, oh, bad, bad, bad yeah. timing okay. there. But AT right. Perry. Okay. Yeah. Like the one thing that impressed me too, with, with Perry, and this is actually, again, to make that Nico Collins comparison. And I yeah. don't think Perry is going to be as good as Nico Collins is, but right. I do think again, same access of players. Mm-hmm. I would note that um, we didn't see Perry used in yak situations much in his reception perception profile. He was only in space on 71 or 7.2% of his sampled routes, but he went down on first contact on just 27% of those plays. Mm. I think that's okay. where sort of his, like, I think that dog is in there, right? Okay. Like, I think okay. it's inside of Perry. It just needs to be awakened a little more. And man, nobody's going to awaken it more like Jameis Winston on that, on that touchdown throw there. So Y'all do, that, totally. was imp- <laughs> that was nice to see out of, out of AT Perry. And I, I'd right. like to see more of him down the stretch. Uh, Lance Zerline, uh, the great Lance Zerline, uh, one of the, the best evaluators out there. Uh, he said um, that he's, not as good uh, trying to shake free on these deeper routes on off coverage. Um, and, yes. and again, kind of si- sort of si- cited the lack of top end speed, um, which is, of course, what we see here. So I, I don't know. Is it a, 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 maybe the combination of the lack of top end speed and, you know, not necessarily the cleanest technique to shake off deep ball coverage? Is that is that about right? Yeah, I'd put it because I think physically he does have that in him. I think he, for his size, right, like size adjusted speed is pretty impressive. But, you know, I wrote in his profile that he only managed 46.9% success rate on nines. And I think it is a struggle with like nuance when he needs to break down a corner and um, off man coverage, literally exactly what I wrote in the profile. Um, you know, maybe he, again, it's just an improve, improving with time on task, I think could be the the issue or the, the, the solution here because Right now, Perry, as a prospect, was better with corners in his hip pocket working deep uh, as opposed to like trying That's to strange. manipulate a corner and off-man coverage. It is strange, but it's not its not totally uh, out of the norm for these X, some of these ex-receiver prospects. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, dude, I, I George Pickens, who like there's – if you squint at it, if you had a few, if you if you had <laughs> okay, a few bud, okay. if you had a few bud lights and you squinted at George Pickens's reception perception profile as a prospect and uh-huh. At Perry's prospect profile, you would probably think like That's maybe At Perry is a bud light George Pickens, but like Pickens is that way where he I think is more comfortable and the dog in him and we mm-hmm. know there's a, we know there's a dog yeah. in George Pickens. Oh yeah, and that dog definitely comes out when he has a corner tight in his hip pocket and all that stuff, when it comes to like some of the nuance and like manipulating off coverage, that's not really there yet for Pickens. Um, 
And I, again, maybe I don't know what's going to happen with A.T. Perry, but that's sort of a, a guy that is operating at that level in the league and operated at that level uh, as a collegiate player. So maybe it's sort of like a ceiling comparison there. All right. Uh, I want to transition here. Talk a little bit about Christian Watson there at a Green Bay. Okay. Through six games played, he's averaging just 2.3 receptions, just 39 yards per game. He's got one touchdown in these six games. All right. He has a 42.5% catch rate. That is shockingly bad. Um, and in a 17 game pace, he's on pace for 40 receptions, 669 yards and three total touchdowns. Again, if you were to extrapolate this six game sample, uh, through 17 games, 40 catches for less than 670 yards, man, with a 42% catch rate, Matt, that my friends is that's bad. That's there's no getting around that. That is just you cannot be a starter in this league uh, posting those kind of numbers, man. Like that is just not good. What is going on with Christian Watson? Yeah, I posited on Sunday um, that has anything good happened this year when the Packers have targeted Christian Watson in a contested situation? Mm. Um, Because if you look at the interception, Jordan Love's first interception of the day, the second one actually came on a target to Christian Watson, too. But I think the first one is more indicative of this. Um, he throws to Christian Watson in one-on-one coverage in a contested situation. It's not a hard, it's, I mean, it's not an easy catch, right? Kind of mm-hmm. similar to actually to the game losing interception against the Raiders, not an easy catch, but one you'd like to see your physical specimen, big right. outside receiver win. it gets bobbled at the catch point and, and Keanu Neal eventually picks it off. So again, it, it made me think, um, what, like, again, what has anything good happened in a contested situation for Christian Watson all year? And our buddy Alex Gelhar and many other Packers fans quickly flooded uh-huh. my mentions with no, no, it has not. <laughs> nothing good, not once. Nothing good has happened in those situations. Wow. And it really is true. Like, and okay. I think Christian Watson's struggles this year are were one predictable and two uh, are emblematic of what's wrong with the entire Packers offense. Okay. Like, you can get away with having a rookie receiver in Jaden Reed playing a ton, a rookie receiver yeah. in Dontavian Wicks playing a ton. Okay. Uh, a rookie tight end in Luke Musgrave playing a ton, breaking in a first year starting quarterback. Also having your other starting receiver being a second year player. That's a lot of youth. That's a lot of inexperience. That's a lot. Okay. It's just a lot for any offense to integrate all of that youth and inexperience in one offense. You can do all that. You can get, a, it might, you might not be a good offense. You might not be a great offense, but yeah. you can get away with it. If you have a number one receiver, like a guy that is a set your watch by on the outside every Mm -hmm. single week, this guy's a stud and he's going to be the engine of your passing offense. And Christian Watson is just not that player. I don't, I don't think he's a bad receiver. I think obviously he's had some bad moments this year, some plays he definitely wants back. But again, this was, it was all over his rookie year reception perception profile that he was going to be a volatile receiver i've made the martavis bryant comparison before Mm -hmm. another very volatile number two receiver in in the league at his peak and that's who christian watson is man um like and again i think it was very easy to see coming like i talked about this on in my yahoo recap article um on on sunday night you know the the yards per route run for christian watson made the rounds this offseason uh, I mean, yeah. it was all, you know, all over, uh, all over the place. Right. People. I mean, um, the, the, the yards per route run people were just, I mean, hot and bothered uh, by Christian Watson saying that he was the, the best value, one of the best values on the board. And, you know, JJ Zachary's in this tweet, I found of his, and I'm not, call, obviously I'm not calling JJ out. JJ is one, yeah. one of my boys, but right. just this, this is the list, right? This is why it was, people were so obsessed with it. Top seven rookie year wide receiver yards per route run leaders, minimum of 50 targets since 2011. One, Odell Beckham, two, AJ Brown, three, Justin Jefferson, four, Jamar Chase, five, Chris Olave, six, Tyreek Hill, seven, Christian Watson. That's mm. impressive company. That, that looks great. But this is why reception perception exists. You got to pull back one layer further and talk about who these players really are. So let's go through that list one more time with their success rate versus man coverage scores. Number one, Odell Beckham, 80.1%. Number two, A.J. Brown, 73.9%. Number three, Justin Jefferson, 76.4%. 
Uh, number four, Jamar Chase, 75.3%. Uh, Chris Olave, 75.8%. Okay. Number six, Tyree Kill, 72.4%. That is an average. Those top six guys in yards per route run, the top six guys average success rate, 75.7%, which we know is a really 75 and above, really, really good. Yeah. Christian Watson, 64.4%. I mean, one cl- success rate versus man coverage as a rookie. One clear screaming outlier here was Christian Watson. Like, I'm sorry, but that rookie year yards per route run was a false flag. It was mm-hmm. inflated because Aaron Rodgers can pin the ball deep on a guy like yeah. that. I mean, and exactly. we talked about touchdown to check down. That's the Christian Watson stuff. And he made plays in the Yak game. But it just like all of those guys went on to become number one receivers. Shoot, if the Packers had second year AJ Brown, dude, even second year Chris Olave, who's not having the best season in the world, but like certainly second year Jamar Chase or Tyree Kill mm-hmm. or any of these mm-hmm. guys, they could probably get away with this offense that they're, they're dealing with right now, but they don't. They have Christian Watson, and he's just not that player. Um, by the way, you talk about in contested catch situations, according to next gen stats, Christian Watson, um, of any receiver who has seen at least five contested catch, uh, pass attempts thrown his way has the lowest, um, EPA among all of those receivers, right? So, um, 12 targets on 12 targets were contested. Uh, according to 12 of his targets have been contested this year, according to next gen stats, he's caught two balls of those, of those 12 targets for 51 yards, no touchdowns, three interceptions quarterback rating. Yeah. The three picks uh, quarterback rating of 5.2 when targeting Christian Watson in tight windows. That is bad. That's the thing. And, and, Look, it's why I, I'll go go to the grave saying like you target separators, right? Like all those guys we just talked about, the top six players in yards per route run as rookies, they were all separators. And it's like, yeah, Jamar Chase can dominate you in a contested situation when he doesn't get open. A.J. Brown can dominate you in a contested situation when he doesn't get open. But those guys all get open, right? And like Christian mm-hmm. Watson just wasn't that route runner as a rookie. And it's like, yeah, you could tell yourself a story that he develops into that player, but you sure. can't say that for sure. There's proof of concept with these other guys that <laughs> they had that ability to uh-huh. already do it. You saw it and, and you just didn't see it with Christian Watson. So it was a huge leap of faith um, beyond the fact that he's injured all the time and often on the field. That's, that's problematic. He's breaking in a new starting quarterback. Like I, it was kind of outrageous. Like how, Talk, and look, I'm not perfect. Okay, I've made mistakes in fantasy football. I made plenty of mistakes here. I get shit wrong all the time. Like, so don't 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 think that I'm throwing you know stones in my glass house over here. But <laughs> the thing that like, and I look, I'm I'm also I do I make this exact mistake. But I'm telling trying to tell you people out there, listeners, viewers, this is what you need to do. Okay, if you look at like look at a player and tell me how many leaps of faith you need to take to 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 say that this guy is going to like hit, right? Yeah. And I think Christian Watson, you had to take several leaps of faith. One, right. you had to take a leap of faith that Jordan Love was going to even come close to being an Aaron Rodgers type of player. Huge leap of faith. Huge leap huge. of faith. Huge, huge, right. Two, the offense is going to come together, even if Jordan Love is good, which is a huge leap of faith because look at all that inexperience we just talked about. And three, right. And this is the one that always scares me the most is when you have to take a leap on the player becoming something they have never been in their Mm. career. It was the reason I was out on Watson. It was the reason I was out um, on Jerry Judy. Same thing. That leap of faith is the scariest. And that one, I mean, look, sometimes you you make the leap and the player is the player and the other stuff doesn't come together and you get it wrong in fantasy. But when the, that one is the scariest one. And I think Despite the yards for route running, despite some of the highlights from his rookie year, Christian Watson was still a big leap of faith, and we're here 10 weeks in the season, and it's, his career's not over, okay? He's a second-year player. <laughs> he can still make that leap, but right. 10 years in or 10 weeks into his rookie his second season, yeah. hadn't happened yet. Um, in terms of usage for Christian Watson, if you're taking a look at, at maybe where he has struggled, look, we know Watson to be this big athletic downfield you know, threat. Right. Well, in 2023, he's running fewer deep passes, uh, routes run on deep passes, and he's catching way fewer of them. And I think a lot of that has to do with the Aaron Rodgers effect. Right. So in 2022, 18% of his routes were deep passes. He had a 32% catch rate on those passes. In 2023, that route participation on deep passes goes from 18% to 13%. 
not a huge, not a huge, huge, you know, downgrade there, but he goes from a 32% catch rate to a 20% catch rate. So the areas where he is effective, he's running fewer of those routes and he's catching way fewer of those targets, right? So I think when you put all of that into a blender, I think that also helps explain uh, part of the lack of production is that he doesn't have a quarterback who's as gifted as, as one of the best to ever do it, throwing him the ball downfield. And, and, and by the way, he doesn't have a quarterback who has free license to just say, Christian Watson, go downfield, brother. Like, I'm just going to get you the ball, <laughs> right? Like they're running more of the LaFleur offense, right? Which doesn't feature Watson running all these deep routes as much in 2023. So I think, again, what Matt is saying, you know, he, he hasn't developed as a route runner. Uh, you, you take the quarterback, the youth, the offense, the injuries to the offensive line, all that stuff certainly um, has taken a toll on this entire Green Bay offense. And I think Christian Watson, I think, is probably the um, I don't know. I don't think I'm out of bounds by saying it. it's the most clear example. Right. Because yeah. like dubs is, is dubs like Jaden Reed, by the way, has been a, a pretty good find for them. Yeah. Uh, over the last few weeks. Right. So. Um, yeah, man, I don't know. Um, Watson just not coming through right now. The increase of like short routes and the fewer deep routes is because look, like I said, they need him to be the player that he's not. And he's not becoming in his second season, which is problematic. But like, I am ready to see more of Jaden Reed as the primary read in this offense. I am ready to see more of, cause yeah, dubs is dubs. Like I think he is just going to be what he is pretty solid player, but can't be really a one either. Um, I'm ready. Shoot, I'm ready to see more of Dontavian Wicks, uh, who I, I've liked what I've seen the flashes from Dontavian <laughs> right, Wicks so go, far. Like, let's go. I, I just like I think they need to mix things up a little bit. It's really tough when you're a young quarterback and you like J- Jordan Love, like, and you can't drop back and be like, "Yep, I've got a guy. I've got a, yeah, like, a yeah, number yeah, one yeah. receiver that I can just like set my watch by." Pretty tough, right. but like that's the situation that they're in right now. So now, like. We need to start designing something. Like, I, I kind of think the offense was better the first few weeks of the season when they didn't have Watson out there um, because, like, all right, we got to design stuff for Jaden Reed. We got to design stuff for some of these other guys. Like, you know, I think they kind of need to get back into that lab a little bit. And, like, Watson can be a part of that. He just can't be right now at this point in his career. He can't be the, like, set your watch by a number one receiver. So, like, let's get more plays for Jaden Reed. Let's get more plays for Dontavian Wicks and, like, see what they can do. And those guys haven't been perfect by at all this year. Right. A lot of mistakes on the Packers offense. All this youth. It's going to be a bumpy ride, I think, the rest of the way for Green Bay. Um, Okay, so you made a comparison here with Martavis Bryant, who obviously, shockingly, is back in the NFL on the practice squad, uh, I believe, for the Dallas Cowboys. I think he's still in the practice squad, right? They didn't activate him, I don't believe. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so either. Either way, Martavis Bryant, um, he is now with the Dallas Cowboys. Um, I I just want to take viewers or listeners back to peak Martavis Bryant. When we're talking peak Martavis Bryant, what were we looking at from an RP perspective? Yeah, so again, he's definitely like, there's a reason I talked about his name with Christian Watson. I've actually... I was looking back through like just searching hashtag reception perception on Twitter and Martavis mm-hmm. Bryant. I've actually compared a lot of players to Martavis Bryant in, in the past. Okay. <laughs> All because he just makes such a perfect like archetype guy, like the volatile number two receiver with like the Christian Watson was just a perfect example who we just talked about. Like I think they the players I compared him to ranged all the way from like Christian Watson to Quinton Johnston to uh, Equinemius St. Brown. There's been a lot of St. Brown. Okay. Jeez, God almighty. Um, Like big receivers who are inconsistent separators, inconsistent, just a lot of volatility there. Um, Gabe Davis maybe is like the non-juiced up Martavis Bryant. Um, Bryant never topped 70% success rate versus man, but he was very close as a rookie, 69.8% success rate versus man coverage in his second season 2015 he had a 70% success rate versus man coverage so you know never cracked 71% success rate versus press so I think he was again a number two receiver that was very volatile had some really high highs he actually got really good against zone coverage although he he saw a ton of man coverage this is how you know the league has changed because in 2015 Martavis Bryant ran against man coverage on 75% that is wow yeah that's never happening for receivers in today's league Um, never 
even just, you know, again, like eight years ago or whatever, 86% success rate versus zone though in his second season, which is a really, really, really high score. He actually got pretty good at like running underneath coverage. And that was where he started to make a ton of big plays too with the Steelers where they would just get him underneath and like yak stuff. And that's where I really Mm -hmm. think the Watson and Martavis Bryant comparison was really applicable. But yeah, who the hell knows what Martavis Bryant has at this point in his career? Yeah. But um, <laughs> the idea to, to dropping him into the – I mean, he did – like wasn't he with the XFL or something? He did nothing recently? He was with the XFL. You know what's funny is that he actually signed – you know how I was covering fan-controlled football uh, for a season? He actually signed right. with a fan-controlled football team. I don't think we ever actually saw him uh, play in that league. But, uh, but yeah, he was with an XFL team. Um, and yeah, man, it was, it's, it's interesting. You know, I think the, the legend of Martavis Bryant's probably better than the game of mm-hmm. Martavis Bryant, right? Like this is a guy that has never, never topped 765 yards. That was his career high. That was his second year in the league. Um, now again, I think there's a lot of projection going on. Obviously he then got suspended, right? right. Um, but, and so, you know, you're thinking, all right, well, here comes this guy, um, he had, you know, 14 touchdowns, his first two seasons in the NFL. What's his third year breakout going to look like? And I think that legend of Martavis Bryant, I think, um, still lives to this day. Right. So, uh, it's, it's interesting. That's why I just kind of wanted to, again, he's back in the NFL. What does peak Martavis Bryant look like? What are the, what are the, the real numbers actually tell us? And not just the, 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 the story of Martavis Bryant. Cause the story of Martavis Bryant is that this guy is a thousand yard receiver with 10 touchdowns. And that just never happened. That's, that's just not, not true. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That that's never what Martavis Bryant did. Um, so I, I'm always fascinated by, by what does RP actually show us about the player? And by the way, him being sub 70% success rate on man, that's a surprise to me. Because again, just based off of the 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 story and you know the the good vibes and the positivity of Martavis, I would have thought for sure this guy was a good separator against man coverage. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Martavis Bryant, if you work the filters enough, he he makes it into those yards per route run leaders uh, as well. So again, the Christian Watson comparison lives here for Martavis Bryant. Uh, but yeah, I, I think again he was a guy that really never settled into like a consistent two. He was a very, I mean, he was a two for sure, but he was a, he was a very volatile player. Um, The Gabe Davis comparison is there um, from a utility perspective. Although I think like Martavis had a higher ceiling than, than Gabe. I mean, this is what I talk about with like George Pickens and like myth making and um, the, uh, like the highlight bias and stuff like that with Martavis, there were, there was obvious highlight bias. I mean, I, this is how you know I should I, I can't let some stuff go. I mean, I dude, I can't remember what happened like last week or like really important things about my life, but I definitely <laughs> remember people tweeting like, "Is Martavis Bryant better than Antonio Brown?" in the middle of like the 2015 season. Uh-huh. Probably the same people made the same mistake with Juju Smith Schuster a few years later. Right. So, uh, LOL. But um, I mean, yeah, th- that highlight bias is real. Uh, and then you sort of start to say like, "Well, they make those big plays." Uh, man, if he was just on the field all the time because of the suspension, right. like it's just the fact that he's not available. It's not, there's other problems there too, but yeah, I really liked watching Martavis a lot. He was, you know, I, Sigmund Bloom used to call him the alien and he was like, I mean, he just moved different for his yeah, size at his he peak. Right. Um, definitely a, what could have been guy and maybe he would have developed into that player, but you are right that we never actually saw him fully develop into that. Like, electric free like the other guys on that yards per route run list who we mentioned earlier he never came close to to scratching that potential of of those guys he would probably be in the christian watson zone mm. uh right now although i think martavis bryant was better than christian watson um yeah. th- those reception perception numbers would back that up uh that he was better and as a rookie and better as a second year player so um i again who knows what we'll get with dallas right um dallas is interesting right now just because like they just got Brandon Cooks going for the first time. They got they Michael sure Gallup did. in the end zone. I mean, they were playing that. That was literally like a varsity versus JV team on Sunday. So I don't know what right. to take from that. But they've also figured out like, oh yeah, what have we been saying? What have James Cohen, Matt Harvin been saying on reception perception <laughs> for like three years that like you can play CD Lamb at all three receiver spots and make yeah. them the primary read? And like they're finally doing that. Well, what yeah. a genius idea that is. So they've got a lot going right right now in the passing game for Dallas. 
I don't know what they do with Martavis Bryant, but I'm at least interested to see. Yeah, I don't even know if he actually cracks the field. I, I think it was like an insurance policy against, you know, both Michael Gallup and Brandon Cooks. Like if those guys just completely fell off and gave you nothing, then you start thinking about, yeah. okay, well, what is Martavis Bryant? What can he give us as a like stretch player um, on the outside? But I think what Brandon Cook showed us here, at least here in week number 10, and I, and I get it, the Giants, you know, it's the Giants, okay? LOL, the Giants, okay? But I think Brandon Cooks did show us that, you know, he's still got some something left in the tank here. Uh, 10 targets, nine grabs, 173, and a touchdown. Um, 23 routes run, by the way, here for um, uh, Brandon Cooks. Uh, and a lot of that just came, you know, before the mop-up duty there because Jalen Tolbert still ran 28 routes. Michael Gallup ran 20. So it seems as if they're trying to utilize a little bit more Brandon Cooks, a little bit more Jalen Tolbert, and and kind of sort of fading away from Michael Gallup here um, at this point. Although, although Michael Gallup also popped up with a huge play as well. Uh, two targets, two grabs for 70 yards and a touchdown. Michael, everyone caught a touchdown. Everyone scored a touchdown, except, of course, Tony Pollard. Well, that's because, <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, Tony Pollard is, is what it is, is what it is, man. But yeah, no, um, I just, just real quick, since we're running a little long, but what are your thoughts there? What, what did you see from Brandon Cooks? Um, you know, again, uh, not the explosive playmaker that we've seen in years past, but it, to me anyways, from a visual perspective, it certainly looked like he's still got some some juice in the tank. I really like, um, and this is the thing, the use of C.D. Lamb as an outside receiver, it it just benefits your offense so much for, it, it's like it has a real trickle-down effect where right. when C.D. Lamb becomes your primary outside X receiver, number one, I mean, he can win there. Reception perception has shown that. There's zero part of his game that would tell you he can't win at that X receiver position been saying that for years had conversations mm-hmm. with cd lamb about how hard it is and how really un- like i know people love cd lamb and like i i do think he's breaking into like the elite t- category in the nfl like yeah. if we re-ranked receivers today i think i'd put him in that elite tier um and he was like the first guy off that elite tier coming into this year and now i think he's officially graduated into it and the reason being that and again it's a conversation i've had with him this guy has a master like master level degree in all three receiver positions, which is so incredibly hard. And so many receivers don't have that, but Dallas right. is now seeing probably shouldn't have taken this long, but Hey, they've seen it. Got to give them credit for seeing it. <laughs> probably didn't need to get your ass kicked by the 49ers to see it. But again, you're seeing it <laughs> right. that if you have CD lamb as that outside X receiver, or even just as your flanker outside, he's going to become the primary read for Dak Prescott. And Dak Prescott is a guy who wants to read plays out and wants to make the right decision and go to the right read. And if mm-hmm. you have your guy in CD Lamb be your right read, boom. Like he's going to probably get a bunch of the first read targets and he's going to dominate, as we have seen. But the trickle down effect there is it also allows for a guy like Brandon Cooks, who is a good player, but not the same player that he used to be. He now runs 60% of his routes from the slot in, right. uh, against the Giants in week 10. And again, the Giants are a JV team, but this is a continuation from the last few weeks for Brandon Cooks it gives him more favorable matchups there too when you have C.D. Lamb just not be pigeonholed as that slot receiver. So I think that has been nice to see for Brandon Cooks where he's a guy who can be a possession receiver. He can be a, a, a vertical receiver for them too. So they're getting him all over the place, which is really great to see. Yeah, uh, and again, the week prior, 44 r- routes run, just two targets, right? So that didn't make a lot of sense. And now he is, um, again, 10 targets on 23 routes run here for week number 10. So uh, quite a bit of difference in terms of overall participation uh, participation, excuse me, and usage there for Brandon Cooks. And I do think, man, this team is just so much more dangerous when they're able to get that second weapon involved in the pass game, you know. And I think it's become apparent at least to me. I think they were trying it out with Michael Gallup. I think they wanted it to be Michael Gallup. And I think right now it might be Brandon Cooks. Um, and who knows how this, you know, again, the, the season always plays out in four week increments to me. Um, totally. And so, you know, and so here we are in, in the second of the four week, or now we're going to the third part of the four week increments here. Right. Um, and in, at least in this portion of the season, it certainly seems as if Brandon Cooks is giving the Cowboys that more, con- a much more consistent um, second weapon opposite of CD lamb. And they've also mixed in Jake Ferguson too. 
By the way, oh, we yeah. didn't talk about Jake Ferguson. They're mixing him in perfectly as well. So I don't know, man. The Cowboys are going to be a dangerous team. You know, um, if, if they can get this going, if their if their defense can be playing as well as it is, and their offense starts cooking like they're cooking right now, man, they're going to be a real tough out. Yeah, I, I really like the way Dallas is set up right now, and they're. I'm sorry, all the Tony Pollard fantasy people, but like they're a great <laughs> drop back pass team and like just efficient enough on the ground where they don't need to give them a bunch of work. So sorry, you're screwed, but it's it's creating the best version of the Cowboys offense. It's true, but does Rico Dowdle need to score a touchdown? <laughs> uh, Rico kind of looks all right, man. I don't know. No, he does. No, no, he does. No, no, he absolutely. By the way, he he does. The Cowboys, uh, and again, this is I think this is 100% true. The Cowboys need to incorporate more Rico Dowdle. Right. Um, Tony Pollard was explosive when he was fresh last year. Right. That's what people want. People wanted to see more Tony Pollard last year. But man, I I just think again, maybe he's getting ground down a little bit. The season's pretty long, dude. You know, I think more is not always better. I agree. I think less is more in the case of Tony Pollard. Keep him fresh, keep him explosive, have a few more of those explosive bursts and Man, I think he'd be cooking, man. So, no, I think they totally need to get Rico Dowdle more involved. Anyways, all right. Uh, enough Cowboys talk. I know that people love it, but that's okay. We're going to move on. And um, <laughs> and that's the show, man. We appreciate everyone kind of hanging in there with us. Talked to a wide-ranging um, variety of topics today, which was a lot of fun. But we'll be back with you here in the next couple of days. But for now, for Matt Harmon, I'm James Coe. We'll see you. And remember, it's never too late to chase your dreams. All right, peace.